Hey there, it has been quite a year. Throughout it all, we hope this podcast has helped you feel more connected and informed about some of the issues that matter most around here. If Seattle Now is an important part of your day, then consider making a tax-deductible gift. Like Seattle listeners Evan, Brian, Mike, Kelly, Catherine, Tony, Sydney, and Andrew. Thanks to all of you. We can't do it without you. If you'd like to donate, learn more in the show notes. And make sure to tell us why you like Seattle Now. Thanks. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Thursday. This is Seattle Now. The Seattle Now team makes a lot of shows, and some really leave their mark on us. This week, we're going to highlight some of our favorite conversations of the year. This episode was special because it tells the story of Patrick Haggerty, a queer musical pioneer that finally got his flowers late in life from the perspective of one of his greatest admirers. Seattle lost a music icon this week. Seattle country musician Patrick Haggerty performed at the city's first Pride event in 1974, playing songs from his band's 1973 album, Lavender Country. Waking up to say hip hip hooray, I'm glad I'm gay. Can't repress my happiness ever since I tried your way. Haggerty's pride in his gay identity was unheard of in country music in the 70s, and Lavender Country spoke to his attitude as a gay man and an activist. Seattle Times music writer Michael Reitmulder memorialized Haggerty this week and says on top of helping shape country music, he had a hand in shaping Seattle's politics. He even ran for city council and the state legislature. The campaign was very much about amplifying this message of Black gay unity. Um, And also during the 80s, he was involved in an occupation that helped stave off the, the construction of a new police precinct in the Central District. Haggerty's music and political career didn't gain much traction outside of Seattle's LGBTQ plus community, but his album Lavender Country has taken on a new relevance as younger listeners have flocked to it in recent years. Longtime KEXP DJ and LGBTQ plus community advocate Kurt B. Riley spoke to Haggerty earlier this year. I got to have my total mouth-breathing fanboy geek out moment. He's here to tell us why his legacy is resonating now. Kurt, really appreciate you being here. Thanks. It is my pleasure to join you, Trish. So to start off, what did Lavender Country mean to the audience that did hear it? Seattle's LGBTQ plus community in the 70s. Absolutely. A thing that comes up a lot in my writing about LGBTQ experiences in music and certainly something I've experienced in my own life, when music or film or books, when there's an art form that helps you make sense of your life, Hmm. you look for representation. You look for instances where you say, oh, I recognize a bit of myself in this character. I identify with the sentiment of that lyric. Lavender Country, the album, does that in a very, very specific way to be something that was missing in popular culture for men of Patrick's generation and and even for men of my generation. I mean, I was born 23 years after Patrick. We had to do a lot of mapping on to things that were out there. You had, you know, you listen to a Dottie West song or whatever and go like, oh, I can identify with that broken heart, but the pronouns don't match. And Mm. Patrick made something by us for us. And at its core, Lavender Country always, always upheld that. 
So people could see themselves in this music where you couldn't see yourself in a lot of other music, especially at the time, right? But country was not ready for Haggerty. He ended up shifting to community activism. I want to talk about that shift and, and why. Sure. The thing to keep in mind is that activism was really always at the core of what Patrick did. He loved music and he loved making music and they dovetailed in Lavender Country, but he always, always at his core was an activist. Between Stonewall and getting kicked out of the Peace Corps for being gay, he was radicalized at a pretty early age. And music was one way that he was able to get those messages out and find his community and rally his community. But when Lavender Country sold out of those first thousand copies and, you know, there had been no interest from any larger entertainment corporations or record labels, to my understanding, he was perfectly happy to continue playing pride events and continue playing for the community and focus that same energy, that same take no BS attitude towards other things, including running for city council and for the state house of representatives. The fire always, always burned in his belly. He never stopped writing songs. He just stopped recording them because his energies went elsewhere and the audiences were more receptive elsewhere. Before Lavender Country's resurgence, he was performing in some pretty unusual venues. It's true. He was performing in senior centers, uh, <laughs> which I learned about later. But I thought that was wonderful because he wanted to share that joy of music and community with people. And no, he was not getting up there. I know he wasn't singing Lavender Country songs. He probably wasn't singing We Shall Overcome. But he really enjoyed singing and playing these songs that meant something to him to an audience that could really, really appreciate it. Was the 2014 reissue a way for Haggerty to finally get some more recognition for his musical career? The climate had really changed, and people had recognized that we needed to see drastic changes in the world around us, that straight white men had been running the show and those days were past. And so people like Pitchfork and Rolling Stone latched onto Lavender Country when the 2014 reissue came out. And now you've got Patrick, he's never changed. He's always done the same thing, but now it's being thrust out there and the world has changed. The culture has caught up to him. And the idea of being an out gay country singer is no longer a novelty. It makes perfect sense. He even released another album this year and had been touring. He's resonating with a new generation of listeners and musicians. Absolutely. And I think that new generation also helped with the appreciation for what he was doing. When you've got somebody like Trixie Mattel on RuPaul's Drag Race performing one of his songs, you have an artist like Paisley Fields, people like Orville Peck, who are inviting him to make music with them, people who have come up from the underground and had more success in a mainstream setting, pulling him up and going, this is who came before me and really paying it forward. And, you know, we lost gay men, the queer community. We lost a generation of artists. So it's really important to elevate queer elders and having somebody like Patrick Haggerty there and seeing young people like Orville Peck and Paisley Field elevate him 
really just it meant the world to me and a lot of my peers. Seattle has a lot of properly recognized musical legends, but I'm curious how Haggerty fits in to our music scene here. You know, it's really, I've thought about this a lot because um, I had a, a gay country band in Seattle and we were very much part of the music scene. And we enjoyed a great deal of access and success. I think for Patrick, because he was coming out of the gay community, that was the root of this project. It wasn't like he had been playing in country bands all over Seattle and then came out of the closet. He was a gay man first who made a country record. And while it was well-received in queer spaces, I never got the sense that the sort of mainstream bars that were going to welcome in a country artist, they weren't going to be receptive to Patrick in the first place. You had a chance to speak with Patrick Haggerty earlier this year for the release of Lavender Country's second album. What was that like? Share some memories of that interview. The thing that really struck me when I interviewed Patrick this last time was he spent a fair chunk of time elevating somebody else. He spent a lot of time talking about um, the Black artist Blackberry, who was another really early 70s out gay man who made some really interesting records, didn't really resonate outside of the gay community. And he wanted to make sure that I was aware of who Blackberry was, that this record was named for him. The, the second album was called Blackberry Rose. That is one of the songs on the album. But he really wanted to reiterate that, you know, he was one person in this lineage. And he wanted to make sure that I, as somebody who carries forth these messages, was aware of Blackberry, uh, which I am, and I adore him. And so it really delighted me to see Patrick elevating his friend. And Pat, uh, Blackberry had died at the beginning of the year. And uh, I remember Patrick saying, I don't know how I'm going to keep going without him, but I have to keep going for him. And you know, believe what you will, but now they're together again. Do you think that Patrick Haggerty's experience with the music industry may have been different had he come along 30 years later? I never got the impression that he was dead set on being a country music star. But I certainly think the world would have been more receptive for his forays into country music and would have been able to contextualize and appreciate what he did a lot better. But, you know, he said at the time that the handful of straight people sort of outside of Seattle he was aware of who heard the record, listeners couldn't make sense of how can it be gay and be country music because country music was so rooted in traditional norms. And if it existed, it had to be a joke or a novelty or not be sincere. I mean, that's Patrick's greatest legacy is his sincerity. I love artists who are outstanding in their field, people who are one of a kind. You're like, there's only one of this person. They may have disciples, they may have predecessors, but there's only one. Patrick Haggerty was one of a kind. Kurt, really appreciate your time. I am delighted to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for elevating Patrick's legacy. Kurt B. Riley is DJ El Toro on Tucson, Arizona's KXCI radio station and a longtime Seattle LGBTQ plus community advocate. Really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing some of that memory with us.
Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Vaughn Jones produced today's episode. The show is also produced by Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Brandy Fullwood. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Thank you.